pray all kinds of prayers and keep on praying. Pray for me. And finally, pray. We're finishing uh, our series on the armor of God this morning. And we're going to be talking about prayer. And I think it's fitting as we do before we, we press our mind into God's Word that we pray as we typically do, especially when we're going to be thinking and talking and learning to pray this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, how grateful we are that You have given us this opportunity to come together to be Your children, to be reminded of all of the beauty of that fact, that we are saved, that we are adopted, that we are blessed, that we are loved, that we are brought near You, that we are embraced by You, that we are equipped for You, Father, for everything that we need in this life. And so help us, Father, in, in the midst of, of all of this blessing, to access Your presence even more through prayer all the day long. With confidence that You hear us. And confidence, Father, that You understand us. Even when we find ourselves in those moments in life where uh, words escape us, at least human words, English words escape us. We pray, Father, for, for, for the, the, the armor that You have given us to become uh, our, our defense and, and the, the, the implements of our, of our advancement in the experience of, of, of a spiritual life, a life that is governed by You. So give us this morning, Father, eyes that see and ears that hear. And, and bless us, Father, as we always endeavor to be changed by Your Word and by Your Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the church said, There is something that is available to us in our Christian life, in our personal spirituality, that many of us do not seek. And the fact that we do not seek it should shame us for our low ambitions when it comes to our own spirituality. We settle for far too little. For many of us, the experience of our faith is like going to a restaurant and not just any restaurant, our favorite restaurant that serves our favorite foods. And being seated and being handed a menu, but we're settling, we're settling, church, for the Melba toast that's in those little packets there on the table rather than ordering something off the menu and enjoying that, that, that great tasting food. The problem in our, our Christian life, in our experience of the Christian life, is that, again, for many of us, we settle for just knowing truths about God. We know the doctrines. We know the, the teachings of the Bible, and we settle for that, but we don't strive after knowing God with all of our heart. You know, this will not do for John the Apostle. In 1 John chapter 1, he talks about the fellowship that we have with one another, and that's tangible, and it's something physical that we can experience on a day-to-day -day basis. And we know what that's all about because we eat with each other, we, we, we share with each other, we're, we're experiencing life at the highs and the lows with each other, and we know what that fellowship is all about. But John also says that we can have that kind of fellowship with God. 
We have fellowship with Him, which means that we can have an interaction, a personal interaction with God. We can experience God the way that we experience each other. But not only does this, you know, this not seeking, this fellowship with God not do for John, it's also a problem that Paul has with, with believers who are settling for less than what's offered to them. And that's the reality of the prayer that we find in Ephesians 3. Paul has told us at the end of Ephesians 6 to pray and to pray and to pray and to pray. At, on a couple of different places, in a couple of different places in Ephesians, he's given us a prayer, a model prayer. The one I want us to look at this morning is found in the third chapter. We begin with the 14th verse. Paul says, For this reason I kneel. I want you to circle that word, I kneel, or those words, I kneel, on your outline. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom His whole family in heaven on, on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with what, church? Power through His Spirit in your what? inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses what knowledge to have an experience of this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the measure of all the fullness of God and now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all the church said, Amen. Wow. This prayer is, is like standing on a cliff and, and looking out, surveying the entire Grand Canyon. And just being awed by its beauty and being awed by the, the magnitude of it. And feeling very, very small in your prayer life. This prayer is just full of astonishing truths. And, and here's the funny thing about this prayer. This prayer that Paul has prayed in Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21, what I've just read, is not for spiritual titans. It's not for the giants of the faith, but it is for everyone and we're going to answer three questions about it. Why we need it, what it is, and how to get it. Let's start with the first one. Why do we need this prayer? Why does Paul give it to us? Why is this prayer, out of all of the prayers that have been prayed by all of the saints in the first century, this one comes to us through the inspiration of, of God's Spirit? Well, I think there are three reasons that it has come to us. The first is this. The message, the message of this particular prayer is this that every Christian should seek and expect, not just seek it, but to expect that there would be an experience in this prayer, a, a profound, a life-changing spiritual experience of the love and the joy of God. Let me say that again more quickly. Every Christian should seek and expect a profound, life-changing spiritual experience of the love and the joy of God. Again, the first thing to remember about this prayer is that it's for us. It's a prayer for Christians. Now, this brings up a couple of interesting issues. The first is, notice in verse 16 that Paul prays for Christ, for Christ to dwell in their hearts, but we've already read in chapter 2 and verse 22 that we as Christians are already a place for God to dwell by His Spirit. 
So he's, at, he's praying for something that he's already told us we're experiencing. And then notice in verses 18 and 19 that Paul prays that we have this experience of the love of Christ. Now you know as well as I do, not just in Ephesians, but all over, all over the New Testament, there are plenty of places where you're not a Christian if you've not had this kind of experience of the sacrificial love of Christ through the gospel. I mean, on, on Sunday nights, we've been looking at 1 John. Primarily, chapters 3 and chapter 4 talk about this very thing. And then finally, at the end of verse 19, Paul prays that we be filled with the fullness of God. That, again, is something that we, we already have experienced. And Paul teaches about it in another place, Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Another just awesome statement that all of God is squeezed itself into Christ and we have been given fullness in Christ. So there we have Paul teaching for the very thing that he's praying that we experience in Ephesians 3. So why does Paul pray that his Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus get what they already have? Why does he pray that they understand all of these great doctrinal truths when they've already been told that they possess these things? There's only one possible answer. Only one possible answer. It's one thing to know these truths intellectually. It's one thing to know them as, as doctrine. It's one thing to know them intellectually. It's another thing altogether to experience them in the inner being. To experience all of these these statements on power and love and riches and fullness to experience them in the innermost self. Two completely different things. Imagine you've inherited this enormous sum of money, a tremendous amount of money. You're never going to have to worry about money ever again, the price of anything ever again. But then in the middle of the night in winter, cold nights, you find yourselves out on the streets of a strange city without checks and without cash and without a credit card or an ATM card. And even if you had those things, you don't know where the ATM is. And if you could find it, you can't remember what that PIN number is. You're stuck. And so even with the reality of all of the money that you have that's at your disposal, you can become, even though that's your reality, all of those riches, all of that treasure, you're sitting on it. You can have all of that, but you can become as cold and as hungry as if you didn't have any money whatsoever. So it's two different things. To know it just with the head and to know it in the heart. To have an experience of it. Which leads to a second reason for knowing this prayer, and it's this. It's possible not to be changed by biblical truth. Now that seems so simplistic, it's nearly insulting for me to say it to you. We know it's true. There are lots of people that have memorized Scripture. History is just full of people that have committed vast portions of Scripture, but they didn't believe it. And in not believing it, were never shaped by it. And not being shaped by it, lived a life that was contrary to it. The truth of the matter is you can know many, many doctrines, truths, things that we would consider to be essential to life and not be shaped by them. These truths are not operative in our lives. And, and this is why we have this, this seemingly insignificant little phrase that Paul begins the whole prayer with in verse 14. He says, for this reason I what? I kneel before the Father. Now, you know, because of who we are and where we've grown up and all the movies and all of the things that we've seen, this phrase doesn't really catch our, our eyes. 
and our mind and our thinking the way that it would have in the first century. You see, the, the, the typical way for Paul and Paul's culture in the ancient world to pray was to do it standing. To pray standing like we do, like Robert did this morning, like Phil did this morning, like Everett did this morning. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, talking about the Pharisees, He says, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. They love to stand in order to be seen by men. For Paul to bend the knee, to express it this way, means that this is an intense prayer that he's praying. That there's emotion that's tied to this. It's an intense prayer to get these truths that he's talking about deep into the heart of every believer. And all of these people that Paul is praying for in the ancient world of Asia Minor are in danger. I mean, this is an intense prayer that he's praying, and he's praying it for people that are in a lot of danger. Not just the people in the church, but everybody. We live in the safest period of time, in the safest uh, acreage that history has ever known. Not so in the ancient world. Danger everywhere. Danger of armies. Danger of germs and sickness and disease. There was danger of famine. But Paul is not praying for any of these things, is he? What he is bending his knee and with emotion and love and, 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 um, and, and intense feelings of solidarity with these people, he's, he's praying for, for things other than what we would normally pray for. We think that we need relationships. You know, how, our, our culture today, friends, is just, it's just brimming with young women who think that they have no identity, they have no worth, they have, they have no uh, 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 social currency or, or any relational currency unless they have a boyfriend. The same is true for a lot of guys. They just don't feel like they're part of what's happening unless they have this significant other person in their life. Or, or economic viability. Or antibiotics. Or NATO. Paul's not praying for any of these things that he could have prayed for. But this is what Paul prayed for. For power to grasp and strength to know and this, to, to experience this love that surpasses knowledge. Why does he do that? I think there can only be one reason, which leads to the third reason we need this prayer. This is the kind of thing, this is what people really need. If we have the things that Paul prays for, this unbelievable knowledge that we are loved by the Creator of the world, that we are transformed in that knowledge when we meditate and contemplate how high and wide and deep and long is the, the love of Christ for us, that, that that's the big need in the world today. And, if, 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 and Paul knows that if they have these things that he's praying, then they can handle anything that's thrown at them. So, so what is it? What, what is it that we need in this prayer? Well, to get at what Paul's driving at, listen to some of the phrases that are found in this text. We begin in verse 17, that Christ dwell in our hearts. That Christ dwell in our hearts. Not far off, but near and in. Verse 18, to grasp, that is to hold on to it, to, gra to grasp the love of Christ. Verse 19, to know this love in a way that surpasses knowledge. Verse 19 again, to be filled with the fullness of God. What he's driving at is this, that Christians need an incredible experience of the presence of God in their life. Not just the knowledge which is so important, 
that again, we don't even, as much as we talk about the importance of the Word of God, we shouldn't need to talk about its importance this morning, but he's saying there's something else as well. An incredible experience of the presence of God. That's why he's bending his knee. That's why he's praying with such intensity and, and such heart longing for these people in, in Ephesus. And quite frankly, this is something that I, as, as your minister, as, as your preacher, I need to do a better job encouraging in your own life. Knowledge is essential. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is the starting place. But that knowledge has to go all the way down into our hearts and into our souls so that it becomes kind of radioactive and that it changes us. And even though we have this knowledge... We have this experience, and we never doubt the existence of God ever again. You know, we have days, all of us do, that are up, and, and there are days that are down. And there are days, you know, there are days in, in our marriage. I mean, there are days in my relationship with Ellen where I, I feel intensely her love for me. And then there are days when, when I don't feel that love. I know that I'm married but I don't feel that experience of it. I, everybody that's ever been married has gone through days like that, especially if you were busy taking care of kids. But what Paul is driving at is that in your faith, in your relationship with God, in your salvation, in your fellowship with God, that you have these experiences that override, that, that transcend the days where we struggle with the nearness of God. Let me give you an illustration of, of the sense of what Paul is driving at. Uh, many of you know the name Pascal, a, a French mathematician, a genius, a follower of Jesus. Uh, perhaps you've read his, his book, The Pensées. Uh, Pascal died on August 19, 1662, died very young. He was only 39 years of age. And after he died, they found sewn into his jacket this handwritten note that has come down to us known today as Pascal's memorial or just plainly the memorial. Here is a portion of what it says. And remember, this is what he, he sewed into the lining of his jacket. The year of grace, 1654. From half past ten at night until about half past midnight. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Certitude certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. Righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. For two hours, one night, in 1654, between 10.30 and half past midnight, Pascal had an experience of God that stayed with him until the day of his death. He had others, but this one was so vibrant and vital to his spiritual, sanctified imagination that as he wrote it down, he wanted it to stay with him. The reminder of that experience for all of the days of his life, and he sewed it into his jacket so that it went with him wherever he went. A little bit more contemporary. Sitting in, in the pews this morning, today, 
is a brother in Christ of this church, this church family, who to this very day, nearly on a weekly basis, at least on a monthly basis, brings up, talks about an experience of God that he had one evening while driving on 1604. 1604! In rush hour. That le- I mean, that's where you need the experience of God, quite frankly. <laughs> while driving on 1604 that left him in such deep peace. That's the word he uses to describe it. Peace. That he does not question the presence of God in his life, even though he's had good days and bad days. So how do we get it? Big question. And, here, and here's the irony of this. It, it, it's a gift, ultimately, because it's... it's and, and the reason it's a gift is, you know, it's a prayer. It's, and that's why what Paul is doing is a prayer. You can't push the buttons and make it happen. You just, you just can't manipulate it. You have to prayerfully seek this. But Paul does help us to know how to pray for it, and there are three petitions. There are more than this, but I'm going to give you three big petitions that we need to incorporate in our own prayer. Petition number one, that Christ dwell in the heart. That Christ dwell in the heart. He says, beginning in verse 16, I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, quite frankly, and I've told you this before, there are a lot of mechanics here that I don't understand. I do think, though, that living that this inner being that He mentions in verse 16 is probably equivalent to the heart that He mentions in verse 17. And the heart in the ancient world was not the place, the seat of the emotions, but it was kind of the controlled center. If you were the airplane, your heart was, was the tower. It was the heart in the ancient world where Paul lived. It was the heart that controlled your commitments. It was the heart that controlled where you would place your hope. It was your heart that controlled where you would put your dreams. And it's where the things that make sense to you, and it's the place where where your values are put into action. And Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit will control your heart, that Christ will dwell in it. I mean, there's a lot of times that we pray some vagueness. We pray that we will know You as Lord. We, we pray, Father, that You will protect us in all of these kinds of things. When's the last time you prayed on bended knee for Christ to dwell in your heart? that Christ will dwell, make His home in your control center. It's Paul saying in Romans 8 and verse 9 that the life, that your life, that my life as a Christian is controlled by the Spirit. And every day you pray for Jesus to live in your heart. Petition number two, to grasp the love of Christ. In verse 18 he continues, he said, that we may have power together with all the saints and maybe you want to circle those words too because this is done in community together with all of the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The prayer here is to have power to grasp. Now that word grasp 
so mundane and vanilla flavor kind of garden variety word in English, but this word in Greek is a curious, interesting little word. It means in the original language to throw somebody down. It means to wrestle them to the ground. This word means to, to, to overtake somebody and to put them on the ground and to sit on them and to rob them. If you were to read this word in some of the, you know, more of the secular uh, uh, documents out there or, or read about it in, in something that would have to do with civic life or, or warfare, the, the word would actually be translated to sack and to plunder. So what in the world is Paul getting at here? To rob God? Well, no. But he is saying something very important. He is saying that we need to exert ourselves in getting these truths. You know, on a baseline, it means exerting ourselves to get up in time to be in Bible class on time. In order for God's Word to be opened up and we do business with it. It, it means to exert ourselves and not, not just read through it, but to exert ourselves into getting to these truths and not just knowing them, but getting the riches that are in these truths, to mine them, to exert ourselves and to sweat through these texts. It's a prayer for the power to get the treasure that's in these texts to get it out and into us until we radiate with their truths. That these biblical truths roar in our, heart, in our hearts like flames. It's Pascal writing one word. Fire. It's reading the Bible like we are dying, that we are dying of hunger and dying of cold. And then, out of nowhere, we're presented with a warm dining room with a banquet table of all of our favorite foods. And spiritually speaking, I mean, we are afraid. We are greedy. We're insecure. We're unhappy. We're driven. We're proud. And there is no greatness about us because we try to find that greatness in all of the wrong places. But when we wrestle, and, and, and again, together with all of the saints, verse, verse 18, but when we wrestle with these texts and these doctrines and these biblical truths and their sweat equity and the elbow grease is applied to them, you know what happens? The blessing. They, they burst open for us and outpours the wealth. And this is what Paul is saying that we are after in our prayer life. And then the last petition is to be changed inside and out. And that is where he says in verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. One of the ways that you know that this is not just charged emotionalism, that we're just getting kind of excited and it's just a facade, that it might be our personality and it, you know our personality got, got jazzed or, or sparked a little bit and so you know we're kind of happy and we're, we're kind of vibrating a little bit. The, the way that you know that this is the real thing and not just that charged emotionalism is that it changes you. It changes you. The fullness of God is, is a phrase that, that references the, you know, the pattern of life. It's having an experience of God based on meditating and wrestling with Scripture that begins to make headway into our greed and our neediness, our anxiety and, and fears. It's doing business with God's Word in such a way that it begins to dampen the pride that we have in our hearts. And we stop gossiping because Christ's righteousness has surrounded our hearts. And we stop clinging to things, to any kind of a thing. 
Because we realize that we've been given everything in the gospel. And gradually and permanently, you begin to change and to be filled with the measure of all of the fullness of God. You know, uh, I, I, the older I get, I would say that this is the thing that I charge after more than anything else in life. You know, whether, uh, we've all seen commercials. In fact, a lot of us have done it ourselves. You know, we go out to the swimming hole or we go out to the pool and, and, and we, you know, it's either off of the diving board or off the side or off the ladder or something and we jump off and we do a cannonball or can opener. Water goes everywhere. And what have we done? We made a big splash, made your mom mad or your girlfriend, but you've displaced water. And in essence, this, this is what Paul is asking in this petition. This last petition for you to do, it is, it is allow God to come into your life with such force and with such weight and with such power that it displaces all of the carnality, all of the fleshliness, all of the sinfulness, all of the, all of the parts of you that are ensconced in darkness, all of the, all of the pieces of you that are sinful and, and, and are the things that bring a frown to God's face. But on bended knee, you have prayed for Christ to dwell in your heart in, in such a way that it begins to displace all of that bad stuff and you are filled up with the fullness of the measure of God. And that's why Paul can say in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, the chapter right before he talks about the armor of God, he says, imitate God as beloved children. You know how you do that? At least the right way? is you begin to be filled with the fullness of the measure of God. All of the stuff gets displaced. All, all, of, the, all, of, the, all of the greed, all of the anxiety, the insecurity, the drivenness in our jobs, the, 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 the haunts that we have in our heart about things that have happened in the past that, that, that snare us from time to time and make us doubt our salvation or doubt our relationship with God. What happens when you are displacing all of those things with the heaviness and the weight and the glory and the power and the Spirit of God with His Word? is that those things gradually and permanently begin to, to be whitewashed out. I shouldn't even say whitewashed. They become vaguer and vaguer and vaguer and vaguer until they disappear. You're not just masking over it, but they begin to disappear as you are truly transformed by the experience that you have in this book. I mean, think for a moment about the height and the width and the length and the depth and all of, of Christ. I mean, you go along every day and you meet all kinds of people. And sometimes they reveal themselves to you immediately and sometimes it takes a couple of weeks or sometimes a couple of years, but something happens and they begin to reveal their character. They begin to reveal who's inside of them. And, and sometimes you feel like you've been uh, duped a little bit, that they're really not as good as you thought they were. And sometimes it's the other way around and, and you begin to feel closer to that person because you see things in them, attributes. There are things that are attractive that actually attract you to them. And that happens every day. We know what that's all about. But then we're called to contemplate and to meditate on every single word that we've been given in the inspired text that tells us that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, and that He laid His life down for us. And we begin to see the height as He goes up on the cross. And we see the depth as He goes deep into the earth only to be resurrected on the third day. And we see the breadth of it and the width of it 
in the way that he is able to bring in even somebody like Mark Asher. Somebody with all of my darkness and all of my sins and all of the places where God has not quite displaced that, that darkness. And all of a sudden the truth that I'm a child and the truth that I'm a son and that it's in, it's in the righteousness of Christ that I'm found. It's that righteousness that guards my heart like a breastplate. So that I know that I'm chosen. I know that I have significance. But significance only in Christ. And that, and that in everything that I endeavor to do, that temptation will come at me because of it trying to derail my mission or my life or whatever it might be that I'm trying to do for the kingdom of God. That there is a shield there as I look to God. As I look to God and know that He smiles upon me the same way that He smiles upon you. You do that for very long. And all of a sudden your heart opens up as those, those scriptural truths begin to burst open and it pours the wealth into your heart. And you really, you know, you, you may gossip and you may get prideful from time to time, but when you realize it, you hate it. You hate it. And you know that when you find yourself in those, those dark moments in life, you, 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 don't, you don't get nervous about the reality of God's presence because you know He's there. You know He's there. And you know that He's there probably in that valley more so than He is even up on that mountaintop. You know, when my kids mess up, they've got more of me. When they're doing great, I just feel like I'm, as a parent, I'm going along for the ride. But when, but when they mess up, they've got more of me. They've got more of my attention, more of my focus, more of my eyeballs right on them. You pray this prayer. You pray for these kinds of experiences of the fellowship with God, and it changes you forever and ever and ever. Ben's going to lead a song right now. Some of our shepherds are going to be down here at the front. Maybe we need to minister to you right now. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you need prayers for the congregation right now. Whatever it is, these shepherds are here to take care of you and to take care of these needs. We want you to come down and talk to them as we stand together and sing this hymn of praise. Over.